We are in a series called His Presence. We're going to begin with Psalm 84, 1 and 2. The psalmist says, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. You know, we've been singing a song. We sang it last week. We've sung it quite a bit lately where it talks about this soul longing for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Here is somebody that wants to be in the presence of God. In verse 10, he says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. A day in the presence of the Lord. I will tell you, it's better than a thousand other days. It's it's better than a day on the lake, a day at the golf course, a day hunting, a day shopping, a day whatever. It's better. All to be in the presence of God is better than anything else. In Psalm 26 and 8, David said, Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house, the place where your glory dwells. Do you come to meet with the Lord in the place where his glory dwells? Uh, You know, when we began this series, we began with Psalm 95, verses 1 and 2. It says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. See, we're supposed to come into the presence of the Lord with joy and thanksgiving and praise. And then, you see, when we come into the presence of the Lord, what do we do? Well, verse 6 tells us when we we have come into the presence of the Lord, here's what's supposed to happen. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. There's three things he tells us to do here. Number one, he says that we're to worship. And I, I just want to give you a little bit of understanding in that culture and the, the, what this word actually meant to those people. In fact, sometimes it's translated this way in the scripture is that it was face to the ground. Now, I, I, I don't want to take away from, you know... That, how we worship, and I'm not by any means saying that that, this, that we have to have face to the ground to be worshiping, but it, you see it as an attitude of the heart. It has to be that mindset has to be there. And then he, he goes on and he says, let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. And you see, all three of these things, you know, sure, it's an act of worship, but it goes way beyond the act of worship. It is an attitude of the heart of, listen, of reverence and awe, of humility, of adoration for one who is so great. And listen, it it is also an attitude of fear, to fear the Lord. Where's the fear of the Lord in our land today? If it ought to be anywhere, it ought to be in the church, in the presence of God. He says, will you not fear and tremble in my presence? Yes, we of all people should know how mighty, how holy, how awesome is our God. And we bow before Him. We are humble before Him. And we worship Him. We give Him all our love, our praise, 
all glory and honor. I don't know how Christianity has turned into this thing where it's about me. It's about Him. And I'll tell you there will come a day when we see Him that everybody will know that it's about Him. We ought to know it now. And when we get into the presence of the Lord, what's the time to do? It's time to worship. It is time to give Him the honor, the glory. We worship. It is an expression of love and adoration from a humble heart that is in awe and fear of one who is so great. Angels worship around the throne of God day and night saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And yet, He seeks worshipers. John 4.23, Jesus says, The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. He is seeking worshipers, not pretenders, not attenders, but those who worship in spirit and in truth. See, anybody can call themselves a worshiper. You know, it's kind of a thing. You, you go to church where you're a worshiper. Yeah, that's kind of like, you know, if you go to AT&T Stadium, you're a Dallas Cowboy. We're not talking about form. We're not talking. In fact, that's one of the things Jesus is addressing here when he says, in spirit. He's not talking about a form. He's not talking about going through the motions. No, it's got to be in spirit and in truth. You know, some people treat our time of worship as something, well, some people have a mindset, it's kind of like, well, let's get through the songs so we can get to the Word. Listen, the Word is important. So is the worship. And it's not just some form thing we got to get through. No, we are worshiping Him and giving Him the glory, the honor that's due Him. And then there's some people that have the attitude that the worship is just, you know, they treat it like it's just a, a, an emotional experience for them to enjoy. Oh, we ought to be emotionally, we ought to enjoy it, but it's more than that. Our Father is looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Spirit. Yes, it has to be from the heart. It is an expression of our love and adoration. You see, when Jesus says this, He's talking to this Samaritan woman, and she's saying, you Jews worship here, and we worship here. And you see, the Jews had reduced their worship to a mere form. And I've seen it in our generation, where a lot of Christians, and there's all different varieties, there's the Catholic variety and there's the charismatic variety, where they've reduced worship to a form. But then he also says to her, not only does it have to be in spirit, but it has to be in truth. Because the Samaritans had this mongrel religion where they had integrated pagan cultures and religion into their faith. 
They no longer worshiped the one true God. And so it is in America with a lot of Christians. They have their own version of who God is. They're worshiping an idol, a false God, instead of the one true God. He has not changed. He is still the same God that he was since the beginning of time and before. He's always been the same. He has not changed. He will not change to fit our culture. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship Him. I want to be found. I want to be found by Him as somebody who worships in spirit and in truth. See, I really believe this. When we worship in spirit and truth, the Father is seeking such to worship Him. When we worship in spirit and truth, do you think He can find us? (laughs) He knows right where we are. And He comes and He visits us. There's a story in Luke chapter 7 that gives us a beautiful picture of worship and Uh, If you have your Bibles, you might turn there. If not, please focus on the screen. (laughs) One of the Pharisees asked him, I'm at verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with them, and he went to the Pharisee's house. And he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in in the city who was a sinner... When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. How is it that two people come to a worship service and one enters into the presence of God through praise and worship and they express their love and adoration to the Lord and they encounter the Lord in a powerful way and they are ministered to and blessed. And in the same service, there are those who come and spectate and watch and never really enter in through praise and worship and fail to receive anything from the Lord. How does that happen? It is up to us to want to worship Him. We can be like this woman who poured her love out on the Lord, or we can be like the Pharisee who stood back and watched. It's really up to us. This passage just gives us such a beautiful picture of worship, and it contrasts, it gives us this contrast of the Religious man who offers no worship. But we look at this woman's example, I tell you, we can learn a lot about worship. Verse 37 tells us that she knew the Lord was there. She knew the Lord was there. When we come to church, we ought to certainly know that the Lord is there. 
See, Simon is the one who invited Jesus. He knew the man Jesus was there, but she knew the Lord was there. She knew who He was. She knew that He was her Savior. I think one of the reasons that people don't really worship is they don't really know Him. They don't really know who He is. Because if we know who He is, how could we not? want to worship Him. This woman known as a sinner. Well, we're all sinners. She had a reputation. She didn't come to see a man. She came to worship a Savior. To be a true worshiper, we need to have a revelation that Jesus is here. I mean, if Jesus showed up in the here and now, in our church, or another church, wherever it might be, if he showed up in a physical body, I want to tell you, people would fall on their face. People would weep. People would worship like they've never worshiped before. In their life. How is it that we don't know that He is just as much here whether we see Him or not? He is here. Jesus promises where two or three gather in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Matthew 18, 20. And I'm telling you, if we know that He is here, when we gather in His name, it'll give us a a zeal for the house of God to come together as the people of God. And when I say the house of God, see, we've got to tear down some of the religious strongholds of our day. When I say the house of God, I'm not talking about a building. We're all past that. But the house of God is the church, the gathering of God's people. The word church means gathering. It is the gathering of God's people. Some people have the attitude today, well, I'm the church all by myself. No, you're not. That is a lie and a deception from hell. We, as the people of God, gathered His gathering of people. That is the church, the redeemed, the washed in the blood, the born of the Spirit. I tell you, I know I talked about this, but we need to tear down that stronghold. So many Christians believe the lie that the church is just unimportant. 1 Timothy 3.15, I write to you that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. This is not Old Testament. House of God, which is the church of the living God. We are the house of God. This is... I want to tell you, God is in His house. If the Lord ain't in His house, we don't have anything. We're just playing church. But I believe when we gather in His name to worship Him, that He is in the house. His presence is real. 1 Peter 1.8, Whom having not seen you love, though you do not see Him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. See, we don't see Him, but we love Him. And we believe. We rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory. 
I think that we ought to tell people, hey, you know, our preacher ain't all that, but our worship team is awesome. I mean, they're fantastic. But you know what we really ought to be telling people? Jesus is in the house. When Jesus is in the house, lives are changed. People come. They want to come and see. We need to be talking about the reality of Jesus being in the house and the presence of God here. Back to our story. This woman came because Jesus was there. She showed up uninvited. It's obvious that she wasn't there for anybody else. It's strange how that for many Christians, worship just kind of takes a back seat in their life to their job, to their family, even to their leisure. Most anything can stop them from coming to worship, bad weather, good weather. Oh, yeah. Listen, preachers all know this. We have, we have too pretty of a day, especially if it's been a while. We've got too pretty of a day. Well, some people are going to have to stay home. Are they going to have to go to the lake that day? You know, they're going to have to have some family time out somewhere because it's pretty today. I want to submit to you the best family time you can ever have is to have your family in church, worshiping God together. What a deception of the enemy. See, it, it doesn't matter what it is. It, the devil's always game to try to come up with a reason why not to go to church. Got a headache. Well, there's not a better place to be than to go to worship. You might just get healed. The healer's in the house. But she came because she knew the Lord was there. If we know that He's here, it makes a difference. Next, she came to worship. I think the reason that a lot of people don't come, or maybe they come quite casually, is because they come for the wrong reasons. You know, they come to meet with friends. And don't misunderstand me. Now, Christian community is very important. It's very scriptural. We all need that. But that's not all we need. We need to worship in part. We were created for this reason. There is a need inside of us to worship. We need to worship Him. Some only come when they have a special need. But we all need to worship. You know, if our primary motivation is to come to worship, then we come, regardless of how convenient it is or what our needs might be or whatever else is going on in our life. We want to be there to worship. This is a strange time that we live in, in America, in this generation of Christians. If we have Dak Prescott come and speak, if we have Carrie Job leading worship, if we have certain politicians or certain big name preachers, we could literally pack this building out a hundred times over 
But they are people seekers, not God seekers. Because it is not about a man. It is about a God who is here. When we gather in his name to worship him, he is here. Why are we worshiping people? Why so much of the church looking at the superstars? There's only one who's worthy of our worship. And I'm not taking anything away from those people except the worship that belongs to God and God alone. And I believe that the Lord, the presence of the Lord is here in this place when we worship. That was her one motivation was that she went to worship Him, to pour her love out on the Lord. And I just want to say, there's a reason we call it a worship service. It's a time to worship. The Pharisee was there to watch. He was there to question. He was there to find fault and to judge. He judged the woman. But he also judged Jesus. He said, this man, if he were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is that's touching him. Some people just want to critique and fault find and judge. And some want to worship. We need to settle in our hearts forever. I go to worship. That's why I go. I go to worship. Well, who's speaking? I don't care. I go to worship. Now, I want to tell you, Carmen and I have had some in-between times and we were looking for a church one time about, I don't know, 20 year, 25 years ago, 20, 20-something years ago. And, and we visited so many churches and, you know, we were so... Uh, disappointed at times because we would go to a church and, and that you know, they sing a couple of songs and it was just kind of like nothing, not much of a real worship. And, and then the preacher would preach and they call it a preach, but you know, they just kind of giving a little talk, not even a real sermon or message, just kind of talking. And we go home and my sweet little wife who, who is, uh, you know, so easy to please, she, she got mad. She's like, well, here's the thing, though. We kept going. We went Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night because we didn't just go for what somebody had to offer us. We went to worship. And no matter what, we go to worship. It's that important. I want to worship Him. We need to settle that in our hearts and minds that we go to worship. Back to verse 38, it says, that this woman stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Her worship was emotional and demonstrative. She washed his feet with her, with her tears. 
I, I have read this story so many times and even preached this story, and, and yet I just got to thinking about she washed his feet with tears. How many tears? How many tears does it take to even begin to wash the feet of somebody who's been walking on dirt roads in sandals all day? She washed his feet with her tears. Such worship, such love and adoration. It wasn't a secret you could see her love expressed. You could see her humility as she dried his feet with her hair. What she did was a pure expression of love and adoration, and that's what worship should be. You know, the Scripture tells us that in the church, everything should be done decently and in order, and it should. But there's also room for emotion and expression of love and worship to the Lord. It is not just a form. It's got to be in spirit and in truth. You know, when you come to worship God, and, you know, it, it ought to be a genuine expression of our love for the Lord. It shouldn't just be a dry, stale thing. You know, Simon thought that all of this that the woman did, he thought it was unnecessary, and we know that because he didn't do any of those things. Some today think it's unnecessary. They call it emotionalism. Now, I want to tell you something. When we don't feel anything, when we don't feel anything, we should worship anyway because He is worthy. No matter how we feel, you see, no matter what's going on. But here's the thing. If we just worship Him anyway, just because He's worthy, so often the feelings will follow. But if not, I still want to worship Him. I, I, I do want to say this, though. It's wonderful to feel it. See, emotion is not a bad thing. I've had mine with and without. With is better. Y'all don't get quiet on me now. It's just better. But I also think that, you see, when we come before His presence with singing, when we begin to give Him thanks for all that He's done for us, when we just begin to praise Him for who He is, it is amazing how that the emotion then comes. You see, how can we not be emotional about what God has done in our life, what He's doing in our life? How can we not be excited about who our God is? You see... Come before His presence with singing. You enter His gates with thanksgiving, His courts with praise. You get in the presence of God. She kissed His feet. Feet that were dirty from walking on dirt streets. Washed them with her tears. Used her hair like a towel. You know, the Bible says that a woman's hair is her glory. And I want to tell you, for the most part, that has not changed. You tell a woman that her hair looks good, and most of the time you're going to get a smile. 
You tell a woman that her hair don't look so good and you're probably going to have a bad day. It's that important. You realize what this woman did. She dries his feet with her hair. Now, we all know this was the Savior she knew too. But this was the humility. She didn't care how she looked, what other people thought. That wasn't her focus. Her attention was on the Lord. You know, the Scripture tells us that we're to shout, to clap, to dance, to lift our hands, to kneel, to bow. But some, I think, in America today, and I see this starting to come down, this stronghold, but, you know, some would just rather be respectable. There's this tradition in American church that, you know, we're spiritual to just come in and sit and just be quiet and reverent. But the Scripture tells us that all of these things should be a part of our praise and our celebration of joy and our worship to the Lord. People go to a ball game or to a concert, and then it's okay to shout and yell. It's okay to clap. It's okay to raise your hands. And you look at them at a concert especially. They get down there at the stage and they're reaching up. They want to touch that star. I want to tell you there's only one who's worthy of that kind of excitement and worship. Why? How has the church ever bought into this lie that it's, you know, we need to be respectable. Listen, we need to be concerned about what he thinks of our worship, that we truly worship him in spirit and in truth. This woman's worship, in a sense, included giving. She used an expensive oil to anoint his feet. And I'm not going to talk about giving today other than I just want to say that your giving should never be reduced to just giving in response to a cause or a need you should always give as unto the Lord. Always give as an expression of your worship. You worship God in your giving. And that, you know, I think it's wonderful that now, you know, you can give online and you can set up recurring giving and all of that is great. And I don't, there's no sarcasm. I think it's great. But it's also doubly important that we understand that however we give, that we give it as a worship to God. Not just going through the motions, but we worship God in our giving. But she poured out that fragrant oil, but she also poured out much more than that. She poured out her heart. She poured out her love for Jesus. And when we worship, I think, you know, we ought to just make our, ourselves, as, as the Scripture says, in Romans 12, 1, a living sacrifice that we just offer God ourselves. Here am I, Lord. Give ourselves to God. You know, her attention was so focused on Jesus, it's almost like it was He was the only other person in the room. There's no indication that she even acknowledged anybody else. 
She wasn't concerned about the fact that they were probably, not, you know, here, this Pharisee, he's saying she's a sinner. I'm sure there were some that thought she was a hypocrite to come in and to do like she's doing. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks when you worship the Savior. And the Pharisee, he didn't worship at all. His attention was on something else. And I want to tell you, when our attention is on something else, we're not really worshiping. See, the casual worshiper, they're always thinking about themselves. It's always about how I feel and how, if I had a bad week and I, I don't like that song. And But she knew what the Lord had done for her. Jesus makes that real clear. In Luke 7, 39 through 46, it says, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to pay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And he said, you have rightly judged. Now, in the next few verses, Jesus rebukes Simon and he affirms the worship of this woman. Verse 44, Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You need to understand that in this culture, it was customary that when you were a guest at someone's house, they would wash their feet, wash your feet, or at the very least they would provide you water so that you could wash your feet. That was the minimum that you would do for a guest. And Jesus rebukes Simon. He says, she washed my feet with her tears. You gave me no water for my feet. Then he says, you gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. Again, in this culture, when a guest came to your home, you kissed them on the cheek. Simon didn't do that. But this woman is kissing Jesus' feet. It was customary to provide oil, olive oil for their head. He says, you didn't anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Not just oil, but expensive oil, fragrant oil. You see, the attitude of this woman was such humility and adoration and worship for the Savior. Verse 47, Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. You see, she is worshiping the one who had saved her from her sins. We have to know who we are worshiping, what He has done for us. 
I, I want you to hear this now, though. Jesus is not implying that if you sin more, you can be forgiven more, and then you'll love more. He's not saying if you've never been a great sinner that you can't really love him as much. You know, I can assure you that Simon the Pharisee was just as big of a sinner as this woman with a reputation. He just didn't know it. Because every single one of us is desperate for a Savior. Apart from Him, our righteousness stinks. It reeks the high heaven. One of the things I'm blessed or cursed with is a sensitive nose. Man, can I smell B.O. And you know, sometimes when you're at the gym or somewhere, our righteousness, our righteousness is worse than that to God. It stinks. All of us, all of us, just as much as this woman need a Savior. All of us who passionately love the Lord. You know, I think sometimes we who serve the Lord faithfully, we forget that we're washed in the same blood, that no matter how good we are, apart from His cleansing, none of us is righteous. You know, and maybe, maybe we think, well, I just need a little. I just need a little forgiveness. Well, Jesus says if you think that, then you'll love Him little. We desperately need Him. And we need to make sure that He doesn't mean less to us as the years go by. How, how could we ever begin to think that we don't need Him just as much today as the day that we first believed? Here's what Jesus said about this woman. She loved much. I want the Lord to say that about me. Mark loves me much. All sincerity, I'm telling you, I want the Lord to say that about me. I want Him to think that I love Him much. This woman, there's, there's no evidence that she asked for anything. But Jesus speaks these words of comfort and blessing over her. He says, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And then he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want to tell you, this woman was a true worshiper. The Pharisee said that she was a sinner. She was known as a sinner. But did you know that she is not known as a sinner anymore? She is known as the one that Jesus said loved much. That's how she's known in the Gospels, the one who loved much. We want to be known that way, to be a true worshiper. And here's the thing, you see, this is the wonderful thing about the Gospel. That same blood 
that washed her. It can wash the Pharisee. It can wash the worst. Those with the past, those that are struggling today, God can wash away your sin. He forgives by the precious blood of Jesus. That's what we were talking about when we took communion this morning. That forgiveness that is available to us. I want you to stand with me. And if you're a prayer partner, go ahead and come down.